So today we're talking about a subject which has dominated the headlines over the recent weeks, and that's the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. We're going to unpack exactly what happened, share our thoughts on the knock-on effects to the wider economy, other businesses, and more importantly discuss, do we think we're facing another banking crisis like 2008? And also, what does this mean for the average person? Before we dive into the conversation, let's check in with everyone, go around and see how everybody is doing. So I'll start with Shuol. How are you? Yeah, from my end, all, all good. It's been um, a busy couple of weeks. I think I calculated uh, yesterday that I've been traveling 15 hours in the last two weeks. So a lot of a lot of travel time, but continuing to make uh, daily progress on some exciting projects I'm looking to hopefully announce later in in the year but all all in all it's it's good and we have ramadan coming up as well so trying to get yeah. it all done before the the month of ramadan and, and fasting which i'm sure we'll probably get into in an in an episode during the next few few weeks um but with that daniel how cause, because you're above me right now for those looking at us visually uh daniel how are you doing um in the words of simon sinek i'm fine <laughs> <laughs> what's the no, what's the uh, <laughs> Yeah, what's the, well, please please elaborate, Daniel, because the energy no, no, is a lot on... lower than it usually is. <laughs> no, no, he, he, he was saying on Diary of a CEO that usually when people ask how are you and, you're, and you say fine, you're lying. Um, but no, I'm I'm, I'm good. Oh, nothing. Do we more need to give you a call? Do we need to give you a call? Should we stop recording, Daniel? Like, switch this off and have a proper that, conversation. Was that, was that a shout for help? That... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. It wasn't a shout for help. No, I'm, I'm all good. Yeah. Um, Nothing really to report. Just uh, working. That's all I can say. And <laughs> <laughs> being and being and being a parent and husband. That's all. So busy. All right. So no, 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 Ashanti and Jarul this time. Then in that case. No, but funnily enough, um, P sent me a video on Instagram that Jarul had posted and said that he could see me on on the video, which is a it was a it was a nicer weekend. Uh, it was nice. To, it was nice to see, and uh, just to to relive that moment. I probably watched that video. Quite a few times, I probably added a few um, views to his uh, real count. <laughs> but yeah, apart from that, all good. <laughs> Live, living it up. Olu, how are you, sir? I'm, I'm good. You know, are you Justin, sure? Wishing you Justin, sure? Justin, it's a tough adjustment. Olu, I've seen a lot to... of comments. Like, like you've seen, I've seen some a lot of posts to make you feel like you shouldn't be here. You're really missing Bali. And that it's almost like you're 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 guessing you're sec you're you're, you're questioning yourself. No, no, no question, no question, not questioning myself. I think it's more obviously there's holiday blues. I think each and every one of us have experienced that before. Um, adjusting back, I think last week was really good um, because if you're based in the UK, it was Mother's Day, so um, got to spend time with the family, um, especially my mom, um, sister-in-law. Um, go out for a really nice meal so that was really good to have family time because especially when you're as far away as Bali um, the one element that you do miss is family right family and friends so that was good um, just readjusting thinking about my next trip um, so we'll see <laughs> we'll see where I'm off to next when I book it I'll let you guys know you're gonna just go to Bali again uh, I'm tempted I'm tempted <laughs> Cool. What about yourself, Pete? No, all good. You? I'm well. I think um, to Shaw's point, yeah, just looking forward to Ramadan that's coming up. Um, just a great opportunity to self-reflect, um, you know, work on, you know, the best habits, 
Um, so yeah, it's it's a great time of the year, and then starts really on Thursday. So, but outside of that, family's good. I'm well, um, and looking forward to getting into this um, conversation. So, what I want to do is just sort of share um, some background, set the scene, um, some facts and figures around Silicon Valley Bank, because I think that will help us open up the conversation to the wider banking industry in terms of sort of what's happened. So, um, if you haven't heard what's happened already, this episode will really help you to sort of break it down from the beginning as to where we are today. So right from the beginning, I'll start by saying um, Silicon Valley Bank was was formed in the 1980s and they're based out in California and focused primarily on serving Silicon Valley startups. But they also provided a range of services to venture capital firms, private equity firms and banking services to high net worth individuals. Just to give you a sense of their importance in the industry, they had um, business with around 50% of all US startups, which equated to sort of 35% of them. Um, and they've also done business with 44% of venture-backed tech and healthcare companies that went public in 2022. So they played a, a pivotal role. Uh, many would consider them to be the oxygen for startups. And they're, they're home to sort of household names like Shopify, Pinterest, and also Etsy. Now, in terms of their market cap evolution, at the start of 2020, they were worth around 13 billion and actually peaked to 43 billion at the start of 2022. And a lot of their peak, you know, that peak was sort of driven by the funding boom that we saw in 2021. And by the end of 2022, they had an excess of 200 billion in assets and accumulated 175 billion in customer deposits. All of this, which would made them the 16th largest bank in the United States. And today it's reported that they're only worth around 6 billion US dollars. So what happened? Why did they collapse? And I think people need to understand, like, like any bank, um, they actually invest customer deposits in order to provide a return to shareholders and to be able to lend for various types of investments to ultimately stimulate um, economic growth. Now for SVB, one of their primary investment strategies was to invest heavily in bonds during a period where interest rates were at a record low which at the time, and I know we're going to discuss this, was probably a good low-risk investment strategy, providing you don't have to actually sell those bonds until they mature. Now, the problem started to build in 2022 when the US Fed, like other central banks around the world, started to raise interest rates in order to tackle the rising inflation problem that we have. That then drove down the value of the bond holdings and because interest rates and bonds have an inverse relationship. Now, in that environment where you have interest rates also rising, we also saw companies, and we discussed this, especially tech companies, were facing extreme challenges, right? Challenges in order to grow, revenue challenges. So in that sort of environment, what we saw is that what you're seeing is venture capital firms, private equity firms are starting to reduce their level of investment and funding, unlike what we saw in sort of 2021. The next sort of event is then you start to see deposits in SVB were starting to decline, which then meant SVB found themselves having to sell securities at a loss in order to ensure there's sufficient cash available for customers actually to withdraw. And then things really started to turn when they made an announcement in March um, of this year that they had sold 21 billion worth of bond assets, which realized a loss of $1.8 billion. And then they also communicated roughly about the same time that they wanted to raise $2.25 billion by selling shares, which then triggered a decline in their share price of about 60%. These two events um, ultimately led to deposit holders becoming very nervous, 
really starting to panic and lose confidence um, in the in SVB, the bank, because they're starting to post and show losses. And that's what starts to then trigger what we call a bank run, where people then sort of go, go to the bank in this case and withdraw what they actually have because they don't believe it, it may not be there um, in the foreseeable future. Um, and actually it was reported that on one single day, I think there was an attempt to withdraw 42 billion, which was around 25% of the deposits. So unfortunately, those were the series of events that have led to where we are today. Um, and it's just good to get your thoughts as to what you've heard and your perspective around how quickly things can change for a bank like SVB. And then we'll talk a little bit about the knock-on effects around other banks that we've seen. So I don't know, you know, Olu, um, maybe some some thoughts when you, you was reading the news and, and seeing the headlines. Yeah, I think starting off, um, P, that was an amazing introduction. I think the 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 detail, the clarity, the way you were able to simplify sort of the chain effect and um, what really happened with SVP mm-hmm. um, was amazing. Um, I think especially if you work in the finance industry, right, you whenever there's a run on the bank, and I think when it first came out that, look, there's a run on the bank, um, a lot of depositors will not be able to access their money. There was a widespread panic, right? I've got friends who work in startup companies, not knowing are they going to be able to pay employees? Are they going to be able to pay suppliers? Um, And you just wanted to understand, okay, why why did this even happen or why did it even start? So I think when I first heard about it, uh, I didn't really understand it, right? Because you think as a depositor, you put your money in the bank. It's not like you're investing in crypto or you, like the FTX or you're investing in a risky um, asset, right? You just put your money into a bank. You will assume that it's safe there at least, right? And to hear that the banking system had gone down or for this particular example, had gone down, there was an element of fear, right? I was checking my bank accounts, making sure that... Or was you? Or was you actually? <laughs> checking, checking if it was safe. No, but I was checking some of my investments, right? To see, okay, am I truly protected in certain cases, right? If the company that I have my broker for some of my stocks, if that was to go down, how much of my assets are protected? Are they actually truly protected? Um, but I think it sort of resolved itself. And I think this is one good thing. We didn't sort of do the episode straight away. We waited to find out what the Fed, what the government were going to do. And I think they came out and said, you know what? We're going to guarantee whatever money is in the bank is safe and you don't need to worry about the insurance limits, right? I think in the US is 250K. In the UK is 85K, I believe is protected. So they said, screw that, forget that, which... To be honest, it's setting new presidents, right? Because if my bank fails in the future and I don't get my money back, I'd be like, whoa, 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 what happened with SVB? You protected them. You got to protect mine, right? So now they're setting new presidents, which is a whole conversation there. Um, But yeah, I think we talked on this podcast about the increasing interest rates, right? And at some point, something needed to break, right? And I thought it was going to be in terms of our high reliance on debt, right? Um, I didn't think it was going to be banking institute because I was like, okay, we went through the the 2008 crisis, which was mainly banks. We're not going to go through that again. Um, 
But yeah, like we said, something was going to break and this was it. I don't think this is the end of it. I think there's going to be other companies that we're going to start to look at, understand how were they investing the money that they have? Are they as um, profitable as we previously assumed when money was free, right? Now you're having to pay something to borrow. Are they truly profitable? But yeah, I think the first thing was really fair of understanding, okay, are all my assets protected? Understanding, okay, what truly happened so that I can study it and learn from it. But I'll pass it on to the rest of the guys mm. to add their points. Sure. Your, your thoughts when you was, you know, learning about the SVB collapse? Yes, it's a, it's, a, it's a challenging scenario because I would say actually to a certain extent, at that point when SVB decided to put in as much as they did into these long-term safe investments, which are essentially bonds backed by the US government. At that point, they were in an environment where interest rates were relatively low and stable. Um, We did start to see the early signs of inflation, but all the experts, for example, the Fed chair, the government, everyone was saying that it was transitory, so it shouldn't be around for long. So actually, from a bank's perspective, if you've got all this capital because you've had an influx of deposits because of so many tech startups being inundated with funding and those startups wanting to bank with your bank, then it was actually almost a no-brainer to put some of this towards what is supposed to be a long-term safe asset, which is bonds, giving a return of uh, 1% to 2%, I think, around that time. Um, And I think the misstep has been what it boils down to is essentially risk management, which P, I think you spoke about during your introduction, where they deployed billions of dollars of these deposits towards this asset class, but they unfortunately didn't hedge. If things were to go the other way, how could we mitigate our risks in in that sense? And I think that's probably the one misstep that they uh, were unable to to do and which has had severe repercussions now. Um, and then the other reflection is around the communication. Mm. So to then suddenly sell at a loss and then share that we now need to fundraise at pretty much the same point and then also saying that, yeah, we are well capitalized, we don't need any more money, that probably could have been better managed from a communication plan yeah. um, as well. So if you put all of those factors together, it becomes a very difficult situation. On top of that, if you put on the layer of how quickly information flows, especially Twitter and specifically financial Twitter, uh, then it can quickly become what has ended up becoming a bank run, which is something that we all want to avoid. Uh, unfortunately, SVP was uh, caught, caught um, in a bad situation in this context. But yeah, lots of learnings for us to to think about. But it's just unfortunate that SVP was the was the the first one that went through this. Yeah. Daniel, your thoughts, you know, and, and in the world that you work in, you know, how were, what was it like at work? Um, how were people, what, what was happening in your world? Okay, I'll keep the work comment um, to the side. I'll park that. Um, but in, in regards to just SVP and the collapse, two things. One thing to mention is prior to SVP, SVP's collapse, we saw other banks um, collapsing. So Signature Bank, which really, very much caters for the crypto industry um, and Signum as well, Signum Bank. And one thing to mention in the US, compared to the UK, there are a lot of smaller banks. So when a startup or an early stage business needs finance or loans, 
in the UK, you can go to NatWest, you can go to Barclays, you can go to HSBC, which cater for retail and also for the investment side and the larger um, investment business and their wealth customers. Whereas in the US, you're not going to go to like a Goldman, which has a retail arm. You're going to go to maybe like First Republic, who's also been in the news, SVB, Signature. There are thousands of banks within the US that cater to small businesses. So this is really important to know that from the knock-on effects and ramifications, these other businesses who are customers of these smaller banks are now going to really be second-guessing you know, how secure is their business, how safe are their funds, which I think is going to take a real knock-on effect over time. I think we're just going to start to see things unravelling in future weeks, and we're going to touch on some of those points later on in this episode. But one thing I want to mention is the importance that social media has to play in this day and age. As Shua alluded to, you know, when we saw 1929, you know, Black Monday and there was a stock sell-off, okay, there was no social media to be saying, you know, take your money out, sell stocks, et cetera, et cetera. But today, we know that information spreads fast. Fake news, real news, it doesn't matter. It spreads like wildfire. And the fact that even Peter Till, co-founder of uh, PayPal, had mentioned that he'd moved all his company's deposits outside of SVB, although he had his some personal amount of 50 million not a small amount uh, locked into svp you know that really spiraled and some people say it's caused what is what caused the collapse of svp um but it's just to show the power of what people tweet and the rate at which people either believe or just take action on it like you said p 42 billion in one day that's not that's not a small amount of money that's a lot of money um and i think it's very important to see how um how, how what the role of social media is this day you know is you know these days i remember exactly where i was when um svp went into f was was went to fdic um i was sitting right here it was around like one o'clock and i was like oh wow um this, this stuff's getting real because you know you know the nature of my work means i have a very close eye to you know everything that was unraveling and just to say the least it was, it was a very busy week very busy weekend um follow, following that and yeah it's I think it's going to send shockwaves into this into the industry, which it already has. And I think mm. from something that Olu shared in the week of um, another podcast is people are going to start questioning, do I need to be a forensic accountant before I start deciding which bank I'm going um, <laughs> yeah. to choose to, to keep my, my funds in? I don't know, but fortunately for me, my wife did a master's in forensic accounting. So, you know, there's, <laughs> there's a box six there. You can leverage the expertise. Daniel, um, Daniel it's funny because you, you mentioned social media, but also is the advancement in technology, right? Because right now I can take money out of a bank account just by a few clicks on my phone. Back in the day, yeah. I had to physically go to the bank account, sign a check, like, yeah, pay, hand in. It used to be a barrier, a process that you had to, to go through just to be able to withdraw your money, right? Now it's just a few clicks on your yeah. phone, which makes you think in the future, they're going to make it harder for you to transfer money from one bank to another to sort of slow down that run of the bank. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Like, like you said, things. Back, 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 back in the day, like you said, um, Olu, they would use that 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 process of counting the money slower to reduce that yeah. the speed of the run of the bank so they start counting slower <laughs> exactly. and making sure you're good. Uh, yeah. So, Pete. Uh, um, no, two things. And I think one one positive that has really come out of this, unlike maybe the crisis that we've seen in in um, earlier years, is to Olu, you've mentioned this, and I think it's important to stress because it may not be something that people have picked up when they're seeing these headlines. Is that um, the FDIC have actually insured two hundred fifty thousand. Um, um, dollars for everyone 
um, limit. And also then the Fed stepped in and said, everybody's deposit is basically safe. So despite the collapse, all funds have been secured, which is good because ultimately it meant that startup um, associate payrolls can still be paid out. And there was a business con um, um, continuity happening. So I think, I think it's good to see where you have banks come in with liquidity to sort of bail out and save and, and things can, the show can continue. I think the other thing that's interesting is you see how quickly or how important business confidence is and how quickly things can turn, right? So if everybody decides to pull their money out of HSBC, overnight the bank collapses. And, and I think, I don't necessarily think people understand that power, right? So as soon as you see a turn in confidence, everybody has a different belief and I actually want my funds rather than keep it in there. So I think, I think to what you also mentioned about the speed of technology, uh, coupled with the confidence, it's incredible how quickly things can turn. Um, just, a, just a question to you guys around, if you're a startup today, what are you thinking? How, how are you, you know, what do you do, right? What do you do to make sure that you may hedge yourself against something similar? And then we'll come on to sort of the banking industry. I, th I think what any prudent uh, business does is to have multiple accounts just to hedge that risk. So you would have a portion of capital in several different bank accounts. And of course, it might be spread equal or it might be, you know, weighted to certain uh, banking names. However, it's always, you know, it's all well and good having an equal amount. But then if thing, you know, if it hits the fan, it's like, oh, I should have put 80% in this one and 20% in that one or 10% and five. You can, you know, hindsight's a great, is a great, is a great learning curve, but, you know, you can never really know. Um, but I think you just need to, just need to hedge. But what we also saw is that many people were removing their money from SVB and put it into household names like Goldman to JP Morgan to Morgan Stanley, which is good, but also not good for the economy of having other banks thrive. Of course, Goldman's been around um, for you know a long time and you start to question and ask yourself, you know, I'm going to put it in a bank that's too big to fail. But the question is, and not just to dwell on now, it is any bank too big to fail? Then yes. you know you know what's interesting about what you just said. Um, many would consider that to be a more positive element in the market than negative. They said actually, statistics shows that um, there are thirty in the US thirty percent less banks or institutions that actually hold capital. So you've got today less banks holding more capital than in two thousand eight. So your point is is valid in the sense of is any bank too big to fail? But some would say we're better off having less banks that that basically hold the capital. I think Olu's got a different opinion. No, no, I, I agree. Okay, with, okay. I agree with Pete. Um, sorry, Daniel. Apart from the, is it too big to fail? Yes, and this, this, um, this scenario has proven that even a bank. I think this was number sixteen in yep. the in the list, right? They made sure that all depositors were whole, right? If you now go to JP Morgan or one of these other ones, I think they'll do the same. Now, a lot of people use oh, the wait, word wait, wait, bailout. Wait, wait. Oh. Yeah, go on. A lot of people use the no, word no, bailout, no. right? And I want to make it clear because I think I saw on Twitter a lot of people were saying, oh, why is the government helping the um, depositors, right? And I don't like to call people stupid, but <laughs> <laughs> I think you got to look at it from, this is a capitalist system, right? And SVB, stockholders, executives who hold stock, lost everything right and that's fair but me as an average joe who just puts money into the bank i didn't sign up to do any risky investments whatever etc just hold my cash 
should be protected by the government, right? If they didn't step in to protect it, let's be honest, there would have been a massive run on banks, right? You would mm-hmm. screw just the regional small banks. People would start going to the bigger banks and say anything above that 250, that 85K, out. out. I'd rather keep it in cash under my bed, right? <laughs> people would probably think about it. So I think that makes Un- until sense. Until they listen until, until until they listen to one of our episodes to know about the rate of inflation and realizing that purchasing power isn't the same in five years' time. No, I don't think they care. At this point in time, I don't, I don't, I don't think you, no one no one is a risk of it going to zero. I'll rather inflation than it go to zero, right? So I understand why the government stepped in and I agree with everything that um, Daniel said, apart from I do believe that institutions and businesses are too big to fail. No, no I didn't say that. I was posing a question. Oh. Is any institution too big to fail? I wasn't. I wasn't suggesting it was. I was just. It was an open rhetorical okay. question. But I. But I agree with you that if the if the Fed didn't step in, if if the, if if there was no step in from um from higher powers, it would have been cataclysmic. It would have been catastrophic. It would have been devastating for all the banks in the in the days and weeks to come. We would have had two thousand eight magnified, completely magnified. Mm. Mm. Um, so before we, I get your thoughts on on the banking industry today, because um, I know there's some other big headlines that we want to dive into. I think it's also important to um, stress another positive uh, um, bit that came out, which was that HSBC was able to acquire the Silicon Valley Bank, the US arm. And you see in these examples of where you've got strength in in financial position, you've got liquidity, banks stepping in to basically keep the show running right and I think if you ask those that are in that space I know we have a close friend Yvonne who, who works in that VC um, space that was a real positive news because it meant that founders can sort of um, not have to worry as much and can maybe sleep better at night so I think I think you know there, there have been some positives um, that have have also come out of you know recent headlines but I say that to then turn it back and say with what we've seen with SVB and some other banks that have collapsed What's your perspective and thoughts on the banking industry now, and and what do you what do you kind of see happening over the next couple of months? Um, because there's some interesting statistics around, you know, in the US they say at the moment as we speak right now, at the time of recording, there is 600 billion dollars of unrealized loss amongst the US banks. Right. So, can we? Is there what you know? Thoughts, sure. What do you think of before we get into another big story? But just your general thoughts on the banking industry, and is it going to get worse? Do you think we're actually a lot better off than two thousand eight? We're better off with stress testing and regulations, or not? Just your hunch. Yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's a big question, but I'm I'm curious because Olu looked like he was about to to jump and onto his microphone. So let's maybe get Oli, <laughs> no. Oli's I was I was just going to say. Like like Daniel always says, it's only a loss when you sell, right? <laughs> that's the that's the key thing to realize. I think with the bond situation, right? Mm-hmm. If they had held it onto maturity, you would have got back the amount. The issue is having to sell, then you're marked down, right? So as long as there's not a run, um, I don't think it's going to have a massive impact on some of the investments. I think the bigger issue will come from the increased regulations that they have to face, right? So there's now going to be a lot of scrutiny on the investments, right? Which means they would have to now, if you're an investor in a bank um, stock, right, you'll need to factor in the amount of costs 
that they need to ensure to sort of manage risk better, scrutiny of the investments, all of these things, which will probably impact the um, depositors as well, right? Because it will probably mean that you get lower interest on the money that you put in the bank right now is already quite low, but I could imagine it going lower because of the cost of them managing that money, managing the risk uh, per se. Um, but look, at the end of the day, we're always going to need banks. Um, so as much as, yes, this massive increase in interest rates, I expect it to go down. Over, all, all we hear about it is it's going to go down, right? I don't think it's going to go back to the rates it used to be, the zero, one percent, et cetera. But I don't expect it to stay at the four plus rates forever, meaning um, meaning um, this should get better. And whenever there's an issue like this, I feel like the scrutiny is always good, right? It means that they'll manage the risk better, manage their processes better. Um, and like I said, we're going to always need banks, right? All of us that take mortgages, start up a business, you're always going to need capital. And a lot of times you're borrowing that from a bank. Yeah. Daniel, thoughts on, on the banking industry? Olu's optimistic. Is everybody optimistic? I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's easy to say we need them now because we're living in a present state, but we don't know what the future holds. When you think yeah. of even the podcast of Bankless, that suggests living in a bankless society. When you think of crypto, create an open financial system, create an economic freedom, you don't think of a centralized um, authority or centralized uh, institution to allow money to pass through to other people or trying to send money to a remote part of the world, not even a remote part of the world, to send it to, say, family in Nigeria, going through Western Union, MoneyGram, etc., taking three days with X number with you know X percentage of fees rather than using crypto, which can be sent instantaneously. So I think there's always going to be a fight for governments to remain. I'm sorry, governments, banks to remain based on the government. Um, however, I think that over time we may become less reliant on what we perceive as the, the way banks currently operate today. And I think over time, and even in recent years, we've seen banks move from a more in-person interaction through the, Introduction of online banking, now available on your mobile app. Digital banks such as Revolut, digital banks such as Monzo. Um, and we're moving away from the, the fact of you get paid, you go, you could go, you go deposit that that cash into a bank. In five years, ten years' time, I think it's gonna be a very different society. And maybe the role of banks within society may change, it may adapt. Um, I do think they're important, but also think they look after they they favor the rich. Let's put it that way. Banks favor the rich, and quite rightly so because they, they they want their money. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you you have interest in starting your own bank. You've got some some ideas there, some innovative ideas. Well, you you've watched <laughs> you've watched you've watched that that film, The Banker. So who knows? <laughs> no, I think for for me, I would like to think the SVB case is a unique situation because they were basically focused heavily on the startup space. And those startups were heavily focused on the tech investments and the tech industry is going through a challenging period. Um, but I can't help but think and, and just reading through, you know, headlines, research, that SVB are not the only bank that have invested in bonds, right? 
Um, and so if that's the case, because most banks invest in the same things, I guess it depends of, on their risk of appetite. Course, of, of course, bonds are going to be one of the, the mostly sought after forms of um, asset allocation because it's it's low risk. You, you you know, you got your power principle with maturity and interest every year and at the finally at maturity, get your principal back. But because, as I said, interest rates have been rising rapidly and they're holding a mark to market, you essentially... You know, signing your own your own death wish. So, is it is it safe to say that for us to not experience a two thousand eight crisis, because we believe the regulations better than before, we believe the stress testing is a lot better. The only one single variable is that people should leave their money in bank accounts. I will not leave my money. I'll be honest <laughs> with you. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Yeah. I'll tell you why. Yeah. <laughs> What is funny, but, yeah, is but the one is person, the bank, yeah. The alternative is the bank run. So one person will say, oh, yo, hey, everyone. Like, and this is what happened with SVB, yeah. A few of these top investors came out and said, don't take your money out. Keep it there. Mm -hmm. In the background, they were wiring out their money. <laughs> yeah. And you yeah. don't want to be the person holding the bag. In this situation, everything resolved for depositors, right? But I think me personally, and I think for smaller investors net worth i will follow the 850 um sorry the 85k in the uk 250 in the us if i was in charge of a bigger business right which managed millions and millions or even billions i would probably put in more larger institutions um, like jp morgan um, bank of america bigger hsbc bigger banks which i think are more too big to fail that's how i would go with it but i'm not going to sit in a little regional bank and just say, now nah, I'm gonna stay here. I trust them. I trust them. I trust them. <laughs> All right. But you're saying, you're saying, but you're saying too big to fail. What was Lehman Brothers? What was Lehman Brothers? Okay, it was 2008, different sort of yeah. um, climate, economic climate. But were they not a big bank? Yes, yes, they were a big bank. But I think a lot of that was due to fraud and fraudulent element. Right? We're more talking about and and fraud doesn't exist today in the banks. I'm saying Scandal. the cases, the cases that we're talking about right now are not fraudulent. Or nothing fraudulent has come out from this at the moment. I think one thing I wanted to add, right, is, P, your question was, is this risk likely in bigger banks? Mm -hmm. I think when Donald Trump was in um, in um, um, was yeah. president, he let out, uh, he signed regulations to reduce the scrutiny or reduce the um, the regulation, regulation on small on mm -hmm. small and medium banks, right? And some people could argue the case if we hadn't have done that, or and they had maybe more scrutiny, would the risk manager ran the risk management be more evaluated, reviewed? Would they be told to maybe not have so much of the exposure to long term bonds? Maybe right. I would assume due to the fact that the banking systems, especially the big banks, have had that increased regulation because of two thousand and eight, and it wasn't reduced. I would assume that their level of uh, solvency, their level of sort of risk management is at a higher level than these smaller banks and, and medium mm. banks. No, interesting. And, and I think um, so. Just just quickly, let's let's talk a little bit about the other big headline before we sort of dive into personal takes. And I think what we would suggest for people to consider. I think we've touched on it, but maybe we could mm. um, focus on it. So you obviously had the rumblings in the US. You've had the collapse of SVB, which is unfortunate. Um, and that's had it sent its shockwaves across the world. And then what we've seen um, 
is an incredible um, weekend or series of events that have taken place um, in Switzerland. So um, Switzerland's largest bank, UBS, repping hard, that's my bank, um, has actually taken over, um, if you haven't seen the news, the second largest bank and its rival, Credit Suisse, a move which I th- a takeover which I don't think anyone would have ever imagined was possible. Uh, Credit Suisse was actually founded in sort of 1856, so it just gives you a sense of that their 167 run has come to an end. Um, there was shares, it was di- different different drivers, but again, it's it's sort of we're starting to see you know what's happening within these big banks. They had a situation where even a 54 billion bailout um, from the Swiss National Bank was not enough, and um, luckily, I think everybody was sort of, was able to come together and agree, or the Swiss National Bank helping UBS to actually take over Credit Suisse. At one point early in this year, they were worth eight billion. UBS were able to purchase them and acquire them for around the three billion mark. Um, what led to their downfall was slightly different, right? But again, what's coming out of this could be interesting to hear from other banks. So, for example, they've they've been subject to a series of scandals over the last couple of years, which has led to a turnover in, in top management. They've had money laundering charges. And I think something that really came out as of recently that there was they had material weakness in their financial reporting. And I think where it really fell down is their biggest sort of shareholder um, or backer basically said, I'm not going to invest any more into the bank um, and increase my share. And that has basically led to the share price tanking um, and the situation that we're in today. So you know, sure thoughts, right? That's 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 um, that's homeland. That's repping UBS. That's us. We're up, which is good. I don't want to talk too much about you know um, my um, um, pots and funds, but but we're we're in a good position. So so um, but yeah, sh- um, I'm just joking. Sure. Any thoughts on on what's happened in Switzerland? Yeah, it's interesting because I was also a a UBS customer when I was uh, living in Switzerland for five years of the last eleven, and I have to say the customer service, um, everything was great. Uh, I, I do have friends that were customers of Credit Suisse and their stories weren't always as positive. Um, I think some initial reflections. One is for UBS, this is actually a great deal to get a business that six months ago was worth tens of billions to now acquire it for cents on the dollar. Um, a franchise that has been around for, for years, of, as you've said which is synonymous with the Swiss identity and has a history funding the the Swiss railway system. Um, The founder of Credit Suisse is someone who has built other industries within the country. This is a brand which is worth something still. So I think for UBS, of course, they've probably got a lot of things to figure out, a lot of risk they also need to manage, but overall a really good deal for for them. Um, That was one thing. So UBS is a great deal. I think Credit Suisse, again, is another lesson for us in terms of trying to manage a business. This is a business that seems to have been on a decline for the best part of a decade now. And this is quite a sad way for the business to to end with lots of management coming in and out, um, a lot of mismanagement, a lot of issues. So I think a lot of learnings for us in that sense as well. I think the other reflection, though, and, and this goes a little bit to the conversation that we were having just now, I mean, banking as an industry is an industry that has literally been around for hundreds of years. Um, And there aren't many industries that have been around for so long. So the service that they provide, even though it's quite a simple service of 
lending out money, paying them back and holding on to your money. This is a service that for, for, for one reason or another has been around for hundreds of years. And whether it's Credit Suisse falling or SVB or Lehman Brothers, I think this will actually continue in the future. There's always going to be banks that continue to grow and others that decline. But I think that service will be essential um, no matter wherever we are in, in our in our era or time or whichever industries are at the at the forefront. So those are some of the, the reflections. UBS is a great deal. Very sad that Credit Suisse has been mismanaged to get to this point. But ultimately banking is something that will will be around and that we we need to we need to have. Yeah. No, great thing. Um Daniel, thoughts on, on the UBS. Are you are you up like 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 more? Are you up? I'm up. I'm up. Are you up? I might just have to pause that and get the numbers, yeah. Um, <laughs> UBS customers no, I think are, it's, are feeling good for now. For now, um, because there's also talks of with the combined workforce of 120,000 reducing that by a third. Um, so that's 40,000 people being potentially affected by uh, by, by this acquisition, which Credit Suisse tried to downplay as a merger, which I found quite comical. Um, but just touching on, you know. As Joel said, they got this for cheap. Um, I think there's a song by Clips called We Got It For Cheap on the album Hell Hath No Fury. They got it for cheap. Um, I think it was down 60%. They got it for $3.2 which was a fraction, 60% less of what they were worth um, on Friday, as in three days, two days before purchasing. Um, I think there's also, to note, the biggest losers, as, as you alluded to, P, Saudi National Bank, who invested a total of $1.5 or sorry, they bought additional shares of 1.5 billion. They said they didn't want to increase their stake to what they could of 10% from their 9.88%. Um, and it's showing that they didn't really have faith in, in the bank. And now with UBS paying 76 cents, sorry, 76 francs or 82 cents a share, they're actually making a loss of one of 80% of its investment. Um, so 1.2 billion, that's a huge amount. And following this as well, Saudi National Bank shares have fallen to um, a two-year low. Uh, it was on a decline since August last year, but this has certainly um, catalyzed that that downwards that downward spiral. Um, and it's just it's just interesting because I never would have thought when I saw the headlines of, um, of saying UBS are offering one billion for Credit Suisse. It's almost like you're living in a dream because when you're in the finance world, just it's almost like saying Manchester United and you know, Manchester City are yeah. going to combine combine forces and make one team. It's just like whoa, where's this That's coming great, from? It's, it's a, it's because a great way of putting it. Because, yes, there was writing on the wall to say in previous years they've been bombarded with fines, left, right and centre, left, right and centre. If you see their rap sheet of how much they've given, it's material. It's material. Um, and then with the news of $54 billion from the Swiss National Bank, then Saudi um, National Bank and everything, it's just like, it was, it was, I wouldn't say it was bound to happen because no one can really... Um, really think of that, but I think it's good for UBS. It's 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 going to be interesting to see what happens, and also see what happens in in the wider in the wider banking sector. Um, and and Olu's tried to make a joke to say that my my analogy is more like Arsenal and Man City combined. No 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 no. First and second. I think it was said first and second, not second and third. I I, but I, continue, chose, continue. I chose Manchester City and Manchester United because they're in the same city. Yeah, you know, no, no. Credit Suisse and UBS they, they are it. both, you know, Swiss banks. Mm. Yeah, but that's why. But yeah, Oli, it's nice to dream. It's more like Arsenal and Spurs. I think yes, that's actually quite good because you would never think two rivals like that would. Yeah, it's true. I think I think you're right, and I think just maybe from a 
from a, from a customer standpoint, just so people give perspective, I think Dan, you've mentioned it quite well. I, I joke and say UBS customers are up because when you actually start um, when you actually start working in Switzerland, you've got a pick between UBS and Credit Suisse. There's a big divide, right? Um, and it's it's kind of like this badge of honor, depending on which side you actually go for. So to see this happening is is unheard of. You, you in a million years you wouldn't have um, drawn up this scenario. So. But yeah, uh, Olu, your, your thoughts on, on this uh, situation and then we can... No, I think um, um, Daniel and Shua have um, covered it really well, so we can move on. Yeah. Perfect. No, so And I think that brings us on to the, to the last pitch, which is around, and I know we've, we've touched on it in the discussion, is we've, we've spoken at a macro level, right? Um, we've spoken a little bit in micro, but let's, let's really drill down and, and help um, people in, you know, in our circle, our listeners, as to you know, what exactly uh, would we advise them to actually do? So I think, I think from, from if I, you know, when I'm looking at this, a couple of things, Oli, you mentioned this. And the very first thing, and I don't think people even understand, even know this, they need to first understand what is basically the limit at which um, um, the country or the authorities would actually ensure if in the event the bank collapses. And I think it's, you said 85, I'm not sure if it's 80, 85 um, thousand pounds in the UK. 85 in the UK. Yeah. Right. And 250,000 pounds in the US. I think that's the first step. And I think with that, so, you know, one easy, quick move could be just to sort of be able to sleep better at night. Is if you've got, you know, um, any more than that, open up a second bank account and move that, you know, um, in excess of 85K into another account. I think I think it was reported that Giannis Atetokounmpo, the basketball player for Milwaukee Bucks, has 250,000 US dollars has 12 bank accounts, each having $250,000, right? So that, that shows you, that shows you, <laughs> is, <laughs> that shows you the extent. So that's, that's something that people can do. And actually, you, you know, you can feel secure. I think it's also a good time to look at um, different forms of investment and not even necessarily for cash flow, but just different ways that you can actually allocate your capital, no matter how much you have. But I think it's about stimulating thought and actually developing an understanding of okay i've got eighty-five thousand here in this bank account or less anything more i'll do something else with and i think we should encourage those conversations and people should start to have those conversations i think the other thing uh, two other things one maybe i'll leave it to the last point i think the other thing here naturally is and this is actually more a message to people that are not so financial savvy i would urge you and recommend you to find the sources which simplify what's happening in today's markets. Because I think it's very important that you understand. And I think it's not an excuse to say, I'm a creative person, I'm an, I'm an uh, you know, artist, I'm artistic or I'm something. So I'm not necessarily so close to the finance world, but ultimately, you know, you, you, you generate income. And try to understand the simple form what's happening and use that to develop your investment thesis or ideas about what you could do over the next 10 to 15 years. I think it's good lessons. The very last thing I'll say before I hand it over, this is actually, I'm surprised I'm saying this, but um, I'm a big believer in moving your money out of bank accounts in order to invest it to get a better return on it. I'm actually here to say there is a reason, there is actually a reason or a need to leave your funds in bank accounts. Obviously, it depends on how much to a certain level to ensure that we don't actually have a bank run across a global bank run, which would effectively collapse um, more than people can measure. So that's, that's, and I think that's sound advice. I'm not going to lie. I think that's, that's pretty, you know, keep some in there. Um, yeah. So that's my, that's my, my thoughts. Um, 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 <laughs> yeah, that'll be interesting. So I should go and say that on social media. I'm, I'm, I'm so, I'm a big believer in, in moving your money out. But in this case, 
I think you should leave some in. But yeah, um, um, Olu, thought, thoughts on your, your suggestions to the um, everyday person? Yeah, I echo. I think I've mentioned it throughout the episode, but I think is understand what the limits are for your country. So how much is protected? Um, and based on that, obviously try to keep within that threshold. If you do have more than that particular threshold, open multiple bank accounts. If opening, let's say, more than five, which I think will be probably more excessive. If you still beat that ratio, I would say start looking at making sure that you're in the big banks. So HSBC, the Barclays, the NatWest in your countries, and less of sort of the regional smaller banks um, if you still have it in your country. But yeah, that would be my advice. Um, yeah, pass on to Shiva. I think from from my end, um, we are living through very historic times at the moment. I think the last 12 to 18 months have been a great economics lesson for for everyone. Uh, I would just continue to to follow it as best as, as you can. And I think the guys have already given great suggestions in terms of managing your own personal finances. But I think if it boils down to risk control, cash flow, being aware of your balances, how much is coming in, how much is coming out, try and apply those in your personal finances. And I think you should be in a good position. And then in parallel, if you watch what these big organizations, whether it's SVB or Credit Suisse, what they are doing right or wrong, then I think there's a lot of learnings for us to apply, whether it's in our personal finances, but also within our professional endeavors as well. And quickly for me, simple as diversifying your, your risk, opening multiple bank accounts. And if you clearly need, you know, over 10 or, or a certain amount, clearly you need to go to Coots and, and um, open an account with them. <laughs> <laughs> Private, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, good. Um, actually, one last thing I actually wanted to say was in recent years, I found myself banking with people more than institutions. So actually taking my funds, giving it to investors to invest in their projects. That has been no, a very sure. safe investment. Just, just, um, I would, <laughs> not, I wait, would I'll add come this. On, I'll come on to financial advice. Not financial advice. So, <laughs> this is not financial advice. Because <laughs> you need to manage the risk. And I agree with you in terms of investing in people, but understanding the risk level you're going into because the government is not bailing you out. There's no 85K my, there if my that people, doesn't work. My people are less risky than what you're seeing in the headlines. Cool. I agree. But the government is not going to bail you out if. That's oh, but that's fair, saying. actually. If someone listening, that's fair. You don't get the same level of insurance. Yes. But at least when you invest <laughs> with people, at least when you invest with people, if anything goes left, you can pull up. If anything you know goes what's left, what's so funny bank, about that? Yeah. <laughs> I said that to my brother. Yeah. Who are you going to see? I said that to my brother. Like reading the news. Yeah. Imagine I just put my money in the bank, and you say it's not there. I'll be there in an hour to get my money, yeah? And if it's not there, we're going to have a problem. But who are you like, talking to? Who are you talking to? At least when you bank with people, you can pull up. Yo, I'm pulling up today. I'm pulling up. Yo. Pull, pull, pull up, pull up to do what? When, what, 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 when your bank asks what, you, are you sure you can... you're sending money to someone you know? And you're saying, yeah, yes, no, yes, no, yes. What you can do with people, you can at least have a conversation, which you can't have with a bank, right? They make it very clear. So I'm just, anyways... But just just a, just a short job towards the end. But no, I think with that, guys, I, I hope um, the listeners have found that um, insightful. Um, I, feel, I hope they've been able to pick up some lessons from that conversation. Um, and then I, I, I hope we've been able to share with you kind of what's happened recently in a very sort of simple um, um, form. So with that, I'll pass over to um, Daniel um, once he's stopped um, chuckling and then he can kind of help to close out <laughs> P, you rounded that off nicely, but as always, thank you for joining us on episode 176 of Take Flight Podcast.
If you've got any feedback for us, find us on Instagram at Take Flight Podcast and also check out all of our episodes on YouTube, Take Flight Podcast. Until next week, stay safe and God bless. Take off, take flight with you. Yeah, we never fly away.